0: welcome to the money answer show with host jordan goodman whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between the money answer show has the know-how to help you now here's your
1: host jordan goodman welcome to the money answer show this is jordan goodman your host my guest this hour is john lumley he is the ceo of blue triangle group which is an investment related firm based in the united kingdom their website bluetry.com. welcome to the money answer show john
2: Hello, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Just give us a brief history of your biography and how you got to where you are today. Just briefly.
2: Yeah, will do. So uh, I've been in investment banking for about 27 years, Um, lived in four different countries, um, seven different cities. Um, I ran J.P. Morgan's private equity and hedge fund business for 11 years based in New York. I have recently returned to London um, and started, I said, the Blue Triangle Group back in 2016.
1: Very good. And just briefly, just kind of tell us what Blue Triangle
2: Group does. So, Blue Triangle Group is a series of three firms. Um, the first one basically is there to help set up um, funds, family offices, or just trusts, etc., for individuals or, or companies. Um, vendor selection, etc. Middle firm is called Blue Triangle Triangle Management, and that one deals with real assets. Uh, and investment opportunities that we structure for the individual. And the third one is uh, Blue Triangle Advisors, and that is a tax advisory and generational wealth protection firm. So essentially, we cover all all parts of the triangle of life in relation to financing. So helping you set up your your company, your structure, or your trust, and then we help you maximize your alpha, and then we help you keep as much of it as possible. Excellent.
1: So let's talk about the current kind of dramatic situation we are in the world uh, financial system these days. Uh, over the weekend, uh, the the uh, central bank seized uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, and then they've insured all deposits to prevent a bank run. What, what do you think? Do you think the the government did the right thing in, in making those moves to avoid a panic?
2: Uh, I I personally believe, yeah, to avoid a panic is essential. We saw, obviously, back in 2008, a run on financial institutions that generally, you know, after the dust had all settled, ended up paying over 100 pence on the dollar, some of these institutions. Um, So perception is everything, as is a well-known phrase within the financial world, Um, and certainly flooring that up and making sure people don't have to run on those those banks and other banks is certainly imperative in my eyes, I guess.
1: Do you see, did you see something like this coming? Did you see the
2: maturity mismatch and think that there was going to be this kind of problem? Um, what I saw, not necessarily the tierage of the banks we're talking about. I mean, um, Silicon Valley Bank is a slightly different problem pertaining to, to signature. Um, but we definitely are looking at the bigger banks and thinking that they may be slightly over leveraged. There is a risk problem pertaining in the maturities, seeing there with the rising um, interest rates, obviously. Um, and a lot of what we have done is we've gone to the fundamentals on some lower tiered banks. But they have an incredibly strong balance sheet, and we very much like where they are from a credit perspective. So, do you think there are a lot of
1: other banks with a similar kind of a mismatch where they put the money into long treasuries which have gone down in value and then they are subject to a run on their deposits and, and caused the problem that Silicon Valley and Signature had?
2: Right. So, so my view is that there are certainly other banks that will have that misfortune. I believe that the, the Feds movement to try and stabilize those and ensure and you know, guarantee those tries to take away from that initial impact. Um, I don't believe there is quite the mismatch that we have necessarily seen with a couple of the banks in question, but uh, there certainly are some problems out there within within that framework. So obviously looking deeper into the financials of these institutions make it a lot easier than certainly as I've been inherent in my first days. You look at the credit rating and you hear too big to fail, and then that's certainly something that rang true from 2008 onwards.
1: I mean, Silicon Valley Bank had quite a high credit rating, I think, and it didn't last very long with what happened.
2: Exactly, (laughs) but that was paramount to my point is that if you just look on the face of things, credit rating obviously can change immensely quickly when we're talking about runs on capital, et cetera, and deposits being removed quickly. And obviously there's a a big difference between the credit rating yesterday and today, as we literally did see with Silicon Valley.
1: This also happened in the UK, right? Were not there some runs on the banks in the UK in a similar kind of situation?
2: There, there have been some runs on the banks in the UK, not quite necessarily to the same debts. But there, I mean, I think this is a global problem. I don't believe this is something that sits there and is isolated to a couple of financial sectors um, or segments. So it, certainly, there, there are these problems, and it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of time before people shore that up. But Having the governments and the agencies being there to try and stabilize them, I think, gives people more confidence to stay within the banking system. And that obviously is imperative just to try and make sure these mismatches are short-lived.
1: So what are the wider implications of this? For example, a lot of high-tech companies and biotech companies and venture capital firms and private equity firms and all these firms had money in Silicon Valley Bank. And had they not opened up... (laughs) insured all the positives. they wouldn't be able to make payroll this week and things like that. I mean, What are some of the wider implications of this, this thing that just happened over the weekend?
2: Well, I mean, they, they are the wider implications. And, and then the, the trickle-down effect and the domino effect to, to which you're alluding is obviously what happens and has happened in the past and can have happened here. Obviously, with other banks coming in and offering to try and help those institutions and the governments shoring up that those financials, there are means by which these banks can continue. Now, well, the companies can continue. We talk about Silicon Valley Bank, and certainly some of the bits I will come on to later are, are choosing the right banking partners to allow. There are a lot of big banks that have you know large amounts of leverage uh, or been leveraged to a large amount out there, and, and they could be causing you know, short cash crunches. Could there be a run on their stock um, or the balances and the deposits? So certainly these do have wider implications, which again is why why the Fed and, and the regulators are coming in to stop those those rushes of the immediate effect, obviously trying to localise it to a couple of banks. And obviously there was a Silicon Valley bank within the UK and the government have stepped forward to say that they, they will make sure everything continues to flow smoothly with that. So it is certainly not an isolated incident, but it's certainly something that I believe, in my opinion, they are making... The correct calls to to try and minimise those effects as we go through.
1: Some were saying that they learned a lesson from Lehman Brothers to let Lehman Brothers fail and have all the implications of that. That's why they moved so quickly this time because they didn't want another kind of Lehman moment. Does that make sense?
2: That makes a hundred percent sense. That that was sort of what we were talking to like, uh, Lehman Brothers was one of the institutions I was speaking about that when all the dust had settled. People were getting back 102, 110 cents on the dollar as to when it went under, um, obviously proving that not necessarily it was a short run on, on credit, but these banks do like to run credit lines to, to a maximum, and that, that can cause trouble. And obviously yep. anything slips away. No,
1: no, look, people are saying this is kind of a result of all the easy money the central banks around the world not only the U.S. Fed but the Bank of England and the European Central Bank and the Japanese and the Chinese there's been a lot of easy monetary policy for a very very long time and when they started to tighten the reins in the last year or so this something like this was inevitable (laughs) does that make sense
2: it does make sense I think obviously that combined though with the rapid increase in interest rates that we've seen has mean that that this match may have been a bit more manageable, but has now obviously been exaggerated during that time, and you're suddenly you know, doubling, quadrupling the interest rate you're looking, and, and that's obviously going to cause a lot of uh, problem for institutions and people that have obviously got a high debt-to-income ratio. So how do you
1: think this might affect Fed policy? Some people are saying after last week's testimony, that Powell was pretty clear he was going to raise rates 50 basis points because inflation's been higher than he would like and the employment's been stronger than he wants. But maybe with this he'll he'll moderate that. How do you think this might affect Fed monetary policy?
2: Um, so that, that that's a very good question and one that's obviously going to be with the Fed. I mean, the Fed will make the call that they see that's best for the entire economy, not necessarily for a specific bank or, or even a sector, but obviously the banking sector is paramount to the entire economy. So they certainly will have to look at that well. Um, if, if they're talking about raising the rates at 50, that's already built into to those numbers, then the banking risk guys could be looking at that and trying to minimise the effects of that going forward. Basically, forward knowledge knowledge is everything, and so therefore if they've built in those numbers to their risk parameters and their risk profiles, then obviously they need to be looking at that and they can recapitalise to the right amounts um, and not and as an emergency mega as we saw.
1: Do you think the Fed has been doing the right thing by raising rates so dramatically eight times in the last year?
2: I mean, my, my personal view is yes. Um, obviously, we don't want to get a runaway economy. Inflation is high. We've got problems. Obviously, I'm based in the U.K. right now, um, although the company is obviously centralized in America. Um, and we are obviously seeing huge amounts of strikes within the U.K., public sector workers asking for record a rise is to try and uh, keep, keep um, track on inflation here. Um, so they do have to, at some means, keep a check on that, on that runaway inflation um, and make money a bit harder for people to get. So th- that's obviously where they, we're looking to, it, that makes sense to you.
1: The Bank of England, Bank of uh, the European Central Bank, they've all been doing the same thing, raising rates. You know, it doesn't seem to have slowed inflation very much at all. I yeah, think- absolutely. Yeah. So,
2: so are they doing the right thing? Do they just have to do more of it? Well, I, always, I always think, Jordan, I've got to be with the, Well, with the deepest respect, it's very difficult to understand what that what would have happened to inflation should they not have increased it, um, increasing it a bit more dramatically to put the brakes on. Certainly could help some ways, but they they have to look at the entire economy. So looking at those numbers raising, we can't have tax going down and. Uh, public sector pay going up, obviously, during this inflationary time. Um, I do believe it has stabilised the inflation. Certainly, if we were talking to analysts a few months ago, they were talking about hyperinflation days and there was a real risk for the economy. Um, The economy is still holding its own in both areas, uh, both regions. So I think that they're certainly doing something right.
1: Well, that's good to hear they're doing something right in this very volatile time indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My (laughs) guest this hour is John Lumley. He is the CEO of Blue Triangle Group based in London, uh, which helps people in all areas of their personal financial lives. You can find out more at their website, bluetri.com, spelled B-L-U-T-R-I.com. We'll be back after this.
3: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21 year old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you
4: had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog?
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Lumley. He is the CEO of the Blue Triangle Group based in London. Their website, bluetri.com, spelled B-L-U-T-R-I.com. They help people in many areas of their potential lives. Welcome back to the show, John. Okay, we're, we're, we're back yeah, now. I've got you. Okay, so let's talk about the family office. This is something you spend a lot of time on. Yep. People may not be familiar. Just start with a kind of a basic definition of what a family office is and why it would make sense
2: for somebody to, to set one up. Yeah, okay. Thank you for that question, John. So, I mean, obviously we have a lot of hedge funds and private equity funds that people might be a lot more familiar with the terminology. Um, essentially, as a family office is a, a fund or a group set up by a family, as the name infers, or a group of families that come together. And they want to invest their own money in areas specific to them. Um, so it allows them to uh, look at greater areas of investment, but also keep far greater track of their money, greater control, and the investment decisions that it is. So it allows them a customizable or customized investment solution for what it, it benefits their family, rather than just allowing other people to invest their money somewhat blindly.
1: What is the typical minimum amount one would need to set up a family office to make it make sense?
2: So well, that, that, again, is a very good question. It depends how far you want to take it. If you're just looking at investment opportunities, then you could do it with anything over a million dollars. But normally a family office is going to be in excess of $10 million, which, again, sometimes makes it un- unattractive or, or you know, not as useful to, to everyday people. So what Blue Triangle also tries to do is allow that family office uh, mentality to individuals who may have 500000 or or $1 million to invest, uh, and they want to get the same benefits or possibilities at looking at unique investments that they have control over, again, rather than just giving it to a money manager who invests in standardized transactions, standardized funds, um, which are pretty opaque to them. So uh, allowing a family office to, or, or essentially a crowdfunding, let's say family office, to look at specific investments, um, that, that brings that number right down. What kind of fees would people expect to pay? Obviously, they said the normal 10 million is somewhat unobtainable.
1: Yeah. What kind of fees would people expect to pay for a family office compared to hedge funds, private equity funds, kind of similar uh, vehicles?
2: So if you are setting up your own family office, then obviously you take and incur the entire cost for the auditor, tax preparation, tax mitigation, et cetera. So those, those actual dollar terms might be a higher number. And investing the entire 10 million with a large fund, let's say millennium, um, those numbers might come back slightly higher. But you have far greater control over who you use, what you spend your money on, et cetera. So, whereas, obviously, with a standardised firm, let's talk, take about the original numbers being 2 and 20, this, this does might you know incur, say, a 5% fee for managing your own money. But then again, there is no performance fee. Everything you make is yours. So, you've then mitigated the increased standardised charges against the performance fee, but you're not then paying away to anybody. Everything you make is yours. Um, plus, again, I said you get a completely tailored solution or ta- tailored investment vehicle. So you target the areas that you wish to advance.
1: Are there tax advantages
2: in having a family office? So, th- again, that's a very good question. Um, anything that you do pertaining to tax, yes, there there would be some significant advantages. Um, as I said, not, not wishing to harp on to our own firm. Blue Triangle Advisors sits there and looks at best tax mitigation strategies for you and your individual circumstances. So there are means by which they can set up SPVs, trusts, etc. cetera. Um, they can look at say, structuring an entire investment vehicle per investment to make sure you have the best possible tax, tax advantages and tax treatment you could get for this. So, yes, it was. It could be a completely customizable tax solution for you rather than, I said, just taking an investment in capital gains, uh, whether it's short or long term, et cetera, will be something that you just put down straight on your statement. Um, obviously, setting up one of these vehicles specific to the investment allows you to take advantage of all of the tax treatments that might be in different regions. Um, country, in, et cetera, and you could then also take advantage of grants that might be coming in to enhance that return.
1: Now, part of the reason for a family office is intergenerational wealth transfer, right? Having the money go from one generation to another, which in many cases gets diluted or yes. lost. Is that a key reason why you'd want to do a family trust, a family
2: office? Well, family trust is the right term. So family trust, yes, it certainly is a vehicle by which we would use to protect that money going down the generations. Um, obviously, then, if, if you are the patriarch or matriarch of the family and, and you're setting up the trust, then you can have a lot of driving force as to how that trust is enacted um, down the generations. So even after you pass, you can still have a say in how that money is spent and protected Know, 50, 60, 100 years into the future to make sure that your grandkids and your great-grandkids as well are protected. Um, and the way that you made the money is still the way that that money is protected going forward. So absolutely, it's a very tax-efficient method by which to pass um, generational wealth down. But it's also a means by which you can protect um, your your. Uh, your family um, and generations going going forward in time.
1: Is this a problem that in many cases uh, wealth is not passed uh, from one family generation to the next and it's diluted or dissipated because there isn't a structure of a family office or a family yeah.
2: trust? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, absolutely. Certainly what we're seeing is certainly in, in different regions as tax, tax regulations change tax laws change people aren't necessarily keeping up with those obviously having a trust some trustees and people financial firms who are there whose job it is to track and monitor changing regulations um and tax rules tax treatment rules allow you then to move that forward people are sometimes unaware of those um certainly um F-tax is expensive um, in both regions that we're looking at, so it it can become a problem. And you suddenly get hit with massive tax bills, especially for illiquid assets. So I've certainly been speaking to families who have had to sell generational homes to to pay the tax man because something wasn't put right. And I've certainly been in instances where we have taken on the helping of the family um, who have just been hit by a massive tax bill because something that their grandfather did didn't, didn't actually make sense in today's market. He did it himself. Nothing changed and they got hit with a large tax bill that they weren't expecting after his passing. Um, and that, that obviously is obviously you're then dealing with the loss of a family member and now then you've suddenly got to deal with liquidating assets to pay a tax bill that you certainly were not expecting. Are there obviously some having that kind of backup? up from the experts um, is imperative. Sorry, John.
1: Are there some countries that are more friendly or a better place to have a family office reside than others? Maybe lower tax countries? How do you pick the, the locus for a family office?
2: So what we look at there is, as I said, everything we try and do is customized to the family. So whether you are tax resident in the US, the UK, Germany, israel canada um, which are all places where we work quite strongly then we look at where is the best place for the vehicle for your trust to be set up as i mentioned before having the correct structure and an spv set up for certain investments might well take advantage of tax treatments in lower tax earning countries such as the caribbean we do a lot of work with bermuda cayman islands obviously um, BVI um, St Kitts and Nevis etc so using some of those regions in the Europe you've got Luxembourg obviously and you've got Ireland which all have beneficial tax treatments. but making sure you have the correct structure in place to protect you as the look through goes back to the generational wealth we need to make sure that those are correct and in in, in accordance with obviously all of the tax treaties Making sure that we have that correct structure in place is imperative for people going to large, large sales or large investments. Um, and we would always advise people to, to make sure that they have had these conversations prior to one of those events. Certainly had instances whereby people have sold their companies or done an IPO on something they spent their whole life working for, And then having not set up the correct tax treatment and vehicles for which to to make that sale, they're suddenly being hit with 40% taxes that they were not expecting. So making sure that everything is done in advance is imperative to minimize that tax burden for yourself and then obviously as we're speaking about for the generations going forward.
1: So it's not only for tax, also is it for asset protection, protection against lawsuits or various kinds of liabilities? Are there...
2: Asset protection reasons why I want to do a family office? Yeah, absolutely. Generational wealth protection. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, yeah, um, ring-fencing assets to make sure that they can't be attacked by certain lawsuits. Uh, you're, You're protecting yourself with an extra ring of defense against. Uh, nuisance lawsuits, people going after you just because you are wealthy. Um, we certainly have those protected within that structure. Trusts have a unique set of uh, abilities by which they are allowed. To, you, know, you you can borrow money from your own trust, so you live the life that you should be leading, or could be leading, but you also have this extra protectional glare of the firm that you've set up with the trust to make sure that you are protected and you're not going to get hit with not just income tax, as we've spoken about, capital gains tax, but also, yes, protecting yourself from lawsuits, et cetera, that, that that obviously wipe out. And even if you win the lawsuit, then you've suddenly been hit with huge, huge legal bills. So we generally come in with some kind of legal protection as well to try and make sure that you can deal with all of those. Very
1: good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is John Lumley. He is the CEO of Blue Triangle Group based in London, an expert on family offices and helping people maximize their investment opportunities around the world. You can find out more at his website, bluetri.com, spelled bluetr icom We'll be back after this
0: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Lumley. He is the CEO of Blue Triangle Group based in London. Uh, They help people with set up family offices and structure their investments in various ways. You can find out more on this website, B l u t r i B-L-U-T-R-I.com. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you, George. So one of the things you do is do structured trades. What does that mean? How are you structuring
2: trades to make them more appropriate for the family office? Thank you. Another good question. Um, Essentially, what we do is we sit down with our clients as they come on board. Every individual has a set of priorities. And risk parameters that they need to listen or they want to adhere to before they go ahead with any investment. So, as again, as I said, we, we try and be a financial services solution house. Um, so instead of you coming to me and me saying, right, these are the these are the services I have, we will sit down, listen to what your parameters are, maximum risk, the amount of money you can and can't move, whether we can use bank guarantees. Or um, letters of credit, so your money can stay in an attorney's account, and we can start leveraging banking documents to try and help move those forward. So we listen to all of that, and then we will come back and we will go, right, this is how we see that transaction happening. So we don't advise necessarily, we sit there and we come up with a structure, with a transaction, with something that meets the parameters. Uh, And then we pass that to the individual, to the family office or to the individual who's looking to to get into that investment. And then they make their decisions. So, again, I said everything comes back to you, how you want it set up, the parameters and risk profile you are looking for, and hopefully to get you the returns that you would like, um, and if not even better, those returns. And obviously the benefit of working with somebody like us is that we can – incorporate your money as we spoke about family offices being a conglomerate or a group of families that come together that have a, a similar risk appetite and the investment profile and we can pair you with other people within our framework that want to be involved in the same transaction that all that also allows you to obviously invest in things that you might not have had the ability to do so before but you still have the appropriate control over the money. So one of the areas that's very
1: popular today, the so-called PPP, the, the PPP is the private placement. <laughs> Just tell us a little bit about these PPPs and what kind of returns can people get by participating yep. in a PPP?
2: So the PPP market is an incredibly difficult market to get into. It is full of complexities, um, but once you find the correct program, then the returns are staggering. There is a large amount of leverage within these organizations, but that risk is not passed on to the investor. So you could have a million dollars sitting in your bank account. That money would be moved to an attorney's escrow account, let's say. Um, that would be locked for a period of 10 months or whatever the period is for the transaction. Um, your money would then be, or a um, credit line would be taken out by the PPP program, or so the private placement program. They would utilize their own credit lines and borrow against your money that is sitting there. So your risk is minimal. Um, your money is sitting in an attorney's escrow account. But those returns, once the program starts and generates those returns, amounts of money you would be getting back would be mind-numbing to most people. The reason why the returns are so significant um, and we are talking hundreds of a percent per annum uh, is because the, the PPP manager is using their own credit lines and may have a leverage agreement in place with the institutional banking institution they're using that could be 50, 60, 100 times what the money that they have in these escrow accounts so you're talking about you said a million dollars in the nialta might allow them to draw 50 million to 100 million dollars upon their credit lines thus entering into making a one percent profit per transaction is a hundred percent to you um now obviously there are fees to be paid for those groups um, and those kind of returns obviously. Are, are very difficult to find, but that that's the genesis of the PPP market.
1: Are there a lot of scams and and people who say they have PPPs but don't really offer them in this market? <laughs> that,
2: that is the be all and end all. That is the golden goose. If you can find the right person and the the real professional that has done that. Now that so we've been in this market now for two and a half three years, and to be fair and recruit to the listeners, sorry, we've kissed a lot of pigs. Um, we've, hummed, we've now found a few princes, um, and we've had some staggering returns from a, a risk mitigating purpose as well. So I said the money is protected. Some of the money moves, some of it doesn't. Um, the fees to be paid uh, once you've been involved you know, a pale into insignificance as you were talking about the percentage of fees that are paid. So when we're talking about standardized investments, and we're talking about 2 and 20 returns, or fees based on standardized investments in the hedge fund. Well, these are, I said, the returns on these could could be 100%, 200 300% per annum, um, if not greater, depending on the structure that goes in. But yes, making sure that you have the right fund. Some of these don't work even when they're put through. But what we have to do is make sure that there is no risk to your money. Everything is within your accounts or within recognised and accepted paymasters or alter accounts, um, etc. At, at big institutions, we don't even use people who are single partnerships. Where there need to be a recognised law firm, etc. Um, most of these are run through the big banking names, so the J.P. Morgans, the HSBCs, uh, the Barclays. Barclays names um, so they're the ones that we need to get into but having the right partner and making sure that you've done your due diligence to, to check that money is not going to be astray because there are certainly many many people out there who claim to, to have these and where any investment has significant return there is more and more means by which benefit for those to come in and try and pretend they can get you to that, to that end of honour Um, So we've spent an awful lot of time, energy, and money making sure, looking at people, checking their investment credentials, working with them, um, putting our own money where our mouth is. We've invested our own money in several of these transactions, um, and we we obviously then pass on that benefit um, to to people who come to Blue Triangle. Sounds
1: very interesting for a lot of people.
2: Another area you work in is
1: uh, uh, short-term um, uh, 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 SBLCs, I'm talking about um, standby letters of credit, where you can monetize an SBLC. Explain how that works and, and what are the advantages of monetizing SBLCs.
2: So th- this is something again that has grown up in the last two or three years. Um, the SBLC market has been a staunch war for the um, the physical commodity industry for. 20 plus years um, if a firm wants to go into a long term oil contract their bank generates an SBLC which is a standby letter of credit which to you and me is essentially an insurance policy backed by the bank that says if you send me a million dollars worth of oil this month and I don't pay you I have the likes of JP Morgan standing behind me and they will pay you the million dollars that's the insurance policy that I have here When the PPE world came in and started swallowing up a lot of those SBLCs, you know, clever people went and looked at other means by which they can utilize those. So what has happened over the last few years is you can purchase an SBLC from the bank for a large discount to the amount of the face value. As we're talking about, essentially it's an insurance policy. You're not paying 100% of the cost to the insurance policy. Otherwise, obviously, there would be no reason to take out the insurance policy. So people are getting this at a large discount. Other people, though, would like to use those SBLCs. They can use them as collateral against loans and generate cash so that they can use that for other investment purposes. What people have started to do there for them is to find... People who can generate and purchase SBLCs, and then they are taking those and what's called monetizing them, which is basically taking out a collateralized loan against your SBLC. Where this is advantageous to the rights people is you can buy the SBLC for a bigger discount than you can monetize it. Therefore, For an argument's sake, we're buying $1 or a $1 million SBLC. We are paying $44 for it, and we are borrowing or selling it for $80. Therefore, you've turned your $44 into $80 of workable capital, or you've immediately sold the benefits for the $1 million SBLC, which obviously at some point will be claimed, hence why the premium is, 44 cents on the dollar rather than obviously fractions when you buy a standard influence policy so we are seeing a real run on people trying to utilize and take advantage of of this um, unique set of circumstances that I said has grown up around an originated market being physical commodities but I said there are always bright people out there who look to take financial instruments and, and make make money from them what goes wrong with a lot of that going through and then people are also then using those investments to go into PPP sorry
1: so, so what what should people look out for that's a warning sign that an SPLC monetization is not going you know done appropriately
2: so you really have to look at the fees that are being paid when they are being paid and at what level of due diligence you have got and can get on the monetizer. Um, One of the biggest areas here could also, though, be the purchase of the SBLC. For you and me to go and get one can be very difficult. You have to go through standardized firms to do it. We have partners and JVs with people who can generate these. Uh, We therefore have track records that we can be proved and verified. Um, We make sure that we pay for the SBLC after it has been sent to us. No forwarding fees upon that. Um, And then also for the monetization, again, you just have to check who your partners are. Do your due diligence. I cannot say that or those two words often enough. Um, We emphasize everything on due diligence. But again, coming to a firm like ourselves means that that due diligence on that investment firm or SPLC provider or monetizer is done once to the benefit of all. So we make sure that we use top due diligence firms who go and do complete background checks on everybody involved in the transaction. Uh, any even amber flags are brought back and raised and go to our committee and they can be passed on to people who are looking to utilize those services. We try and said information is key. So we always try and give as much information on who you're working with. Um, and certainly when it comes to a point where money is expected to move, we want to make sure everything, every I is dotted and every T is crossed. So I said, making sure that, that that you know who you're doing business with.
1: Indeed. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Lumley. He's the CEO of Blue Triangle Group, based in London. You can find out more about his group at Blue Tri, spelled B-L-U-T-R-I com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you.
4: Voice America Business Network.
5: Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equities Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7 if you own a home with some equity have a decent credit score and verifiable income you owe it to yourself to learn more about truth and equities program there's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases the system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages your home is your largest investment own it outright in five to seven years call truth and equity 888-262-5540 or visit truthinequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome
1: back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Lumley, the CEO of Blue Triangle Group, based in London. You can find out more about him and his work at bluepride.com,
2: spelled dot icom
1: John, welcome back to the show. Thank you,
2: John. Good to be here.
1: So one area that you think family offices are doing a good job in is small-cap investment yeah. opportunities. So explain that a little bit, and what kind of small-cap opportunities can family offices do that, might be more difficult through private equity or hedge funds or other ways.
2: Great, um, good question. So, a small cap investment, as the name dictates, it requires a smaller amount of money to be invested in it. It's a smaller capital, at an earlier st- oh, sorry, smaller company at an earlier stage in its life cycle. Um, one of the best examples you will ever hear um, is obviously Facebook or Google or companies like this. When they were in their original capital raising phases, which comes down to venture capital or private equity, or in this case it actually came down to a um financial um investment specialist who helped people like Bono invest ten thousand pounds into facebook um at a very early stage, obviously that comes with a greater risk, but the reward was evident when Facebook launched and his his investment you know came back thousands of multiples to that or a thousand multiple to that. um so these kind of small cap investments are set up you need the right framework to get to those companies and um, do their due diligence on them but obviously the rewards for those could be significantly more than investing in facebook today um for those kind of investments and periods and again Sorry to harp on about the same kind of thing, but when you're looking at a small cap, you can look for a particular company that benefits your portfolio risk parameters. So you can also look for something that is a complementary investment to what you already have. As again, said, investing blindly or just taking a standardised approach to indexes. You're not necessarily looking at where you generate your wealth, where you generate your income, um, etc. But when I worked at JP Morgan, I never liked to necessarily invest in the banks because that's where my my pay and my bonus was tied to. So making sure I had something uncorrelated made a great deal of sense to me. Uh, Looking at other investment vehicles and small cap opportunities is something that I have done for myself and I've done for my clients through my time at JP Morgan and then through the world of uh, Blue Triangle as we've gone forward.
1: So what would be the advantage of doing it this way as opposed to putting money in a venture capital firm to do the due diligence for you and seeing what companies really have good potential?
2: So, again, you, you might be asking me to bite the hands that feeds me because I deal a lot with venture capital firms. But um, having a look specifically at something that makes sense to you and the, the parity to look all the way through. If I give my million dollars to a venture capital firm, I am an investor. He doesn't look at my portfolio, doesn't look at my interest, things that are of um, interest to me. So right now, not not to digress, but we are looking to purchase an airport. We're purchasing it for somebody uh, and a group of investors who are aviation nuts, who never thought they would ever have the opportunity to purchase an airport. However... One became available through our network. They didn't buy it themselves. They joined together, put through a bid. That looks like that's going to be successful. So that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, It's a smaller airport. So obviously we're not talking about LAX or JFK or London Heathrow. Uh, It's a small regional airport, but still gives them fantastic inspiration for something that they love, Um, et cetera. We also have other firms or other people who are purchasing into large works of art that they be a, a big art buffs or um, classical music enthusiasts. We've got Picasso pieces. We've got um, Stradivarius violins whereby people who are interested into these fields can get involved into these kind of investments. So if you give your money to a blanket firm, one, they're not really bothered about your personal beliefs and interests. And two, they have a different set of risk parameters for which they're looking at. So you need to you know, look at what you want. Certainly within venture capital as well, there are far more losers than winners. But Buying something, as one of the assets we've just described, gives you a lot of confidence in the underlying asset itself. Art, um, Stradivarius, etc. Don't generally lose money, so they're always good, good investments. Um, and an airport. Obviously, we all like to fly, so good stabilizing assets that are always there. Not just banking on a company making, making it, you know, to be the next Google or Amazon. You also talk about
1: impact investing, um, where where people investing to improve the, the social environmental impact. Yep. How could family offices uh, do uh, positive impact investing?
2: Absolutely another great question ties in with several of the other points that we've raised So again having a social green conscience is something that we're seeing a lot of nowadays A lot of investors um, are saying that they have stricter investment criteria They want to look for green projects and impact investing etc If you are in control of that and you're looking at something then obviously you can put that in as I've said to you before you can come back and give your own criteria to us to go away and look for an impact project. One of the other big advantages was something we just discussed in the last segment, uh, the PPP transactions. Nearly all of these ultra-high leverage and ultra-high return investment programs have a humanitarian project um, at the fore for why they are doing that investment at that at, at point. So even though we all make money, and that's fantastic, that's what we're all here to do, don't get me wrong, if I can make a dollar and I can make an impact of somebody else's life or help the planet, then I would do that every day of the week. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't. So having those kind of criteria for yourself and for your investment dollars makes a lot of sense to me. But again, coming to somebody like us that knows that, And just said, if you have a specific area that you would like to look at, can't guarantee there is a project out there, but we can always look to structure that into your personal portfolio and your personal structuring.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been John Lumley. He is the CEO of Blue Triangle Group based in London. You can see they help people with family offices, with small cap investments, with uh, private placement programs, with... SBLC monetization—all kinds of different things they can help you with. You can find out more at their website, blutri.com, which is spelled B-L-U-T-R-I.com. Thanks so much. We've learned a lot during the last hour, John. Thank you, Joe. Thanks very much for having us. Very good. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show.